Have you been considering taking your horse or Western photography passion to the next level? Hi, it's Kara with Cowgirls with Cameras, and I want to tell you about our Cottonwood Ranch photography experience in August. This experience is a workshop, portfolio builder, business clinic, and gathering set in the majestic scenery of the Nevada mountains. This event is learning intensive and full of shooting opportunities that feature ranch work, western horses, cowboys, cowgirls, horses, and dogs. You'll walk away feeling more confident in your camera, editing, and business skills, shoot a few thousand images, and gain new friends in the process. Our events are always focused on collaboration over competition, and our three instructors, myself, Kim Beer, and Phyllis Burchette, are all deeply passionate about seeing you reach your photography goals. To learn more about this event and other photography adventures we have coming up, head over to cowgirlswithcameras.com. Welcome to the Business Animal Podcast. Saddle up for a gallop to the top of the animal industry, where you'll learn how to tame your wild business beast with tips, techniques, and tools that will take overwhelm to obedience school and have you wagging your tail with joy. And now your hosts, Kim Beer and Kara Taylor Swift. Hey there, business animals. It's Kim with Be More Business. And Kara with Fast Horse Photography. Hi, Kim. Hi, Kara. How are you doing today? I'm good. For those who don't know, we've been laughing about random body hair issues. So that's why we both have this like funny kind of like laughter in our voices because right before we got on here, we were talking about hair in places that it shouldn't be. So just letting y'all yes. know that's and how we're starting the show And hair. Overachieving hairs. Yes. I, I definitely have, I have yep. a hair on my chin and it's only happened uh -huh. now that I've been an old woman, but it is just yep. this like I maybe it's a witch hair. Maybe as I get, it's like a Lewis and it's like a Lewis and Lewis and Clark hair that has it's out there navigated and, and gone on an adventure. Yeah, it has just like gotten totally out of hand, and it's so funny because it grows so damn fast. It's an overachieving hair. Now that we've completed the TMI portion of the show, let's yep. move on to <laughs> talking about our topic for today, which is even more fascinating than random overachieving body hairs. I love this topic, actually, because it's something I think about all the time in my business. And every year I do this activity where I sit down and I think about my pricing. And so what we're talking about today is the psychology of pricing. So thinking about the psychology of this and how crucial a role it plays really in the success of our animal-based businesses. So as business owners, we have to understand that there are psychological factors that influence consumer behavior and influence purchasing decisions that people make. So this is really important. Like I'm one of those visual people that like I'm a package shopper. So if I'm shopping between like two equally blue looking body washes, I'm going to pick the one in the prettiest package. That's just how it is. That's one of those psychological things in my brain. But what we're more specifically talking about today is in regards to pricing. So our big three, the first is perceived value and behavioral pricing. The second is kind of talking about the different types of pricing that animal-based business owners might choose to use. And then the third is around context and framing, kind of the way prices are presented and how they're framed. So, Kim, do you have anything you want to say to get us started? You're always full of so much wisdom. 
I am going to enjoy the heck out of this episode because I <laughs> understand some of these principles, but I'm going to uh -huh. tell you, Kara has gone above and beyond in what she has for you guys. So you definitely want to hang out till the end of this episode, number one. And number two, I can't wait to figure out where my crazy woo-woo pricing that I've been doing lately fits into all of this. So let's <laughs> dive in. Okay, that'll be awesome. <laughs> So the first thing under perceived value in behavioral pricing, perceived value, we're talking about the perceived value of a product or maybe a service that you provide and the fact that it really heavily influences how much a customer is willing to pay for something. So as animal-based business owners, we have to focus on things like highlighting the unique features, thinking about the benefits that our product or service offers, maybe the quality that we're offering really to create that perception of high value. And as business owners, we have to figure out how to effectively communicate the value and how do we justify our pricing or, or for some of us who have higher price points, how do we justify those higher price points? So we're trying to talk about here how heavily something will influence how much a client will pay for something. Like I said, thinking about those features is really important. The big takeaway from this one for me that I have learned over the years is that as consumers, we just want to feel normal. So we want to feel like normal shoppers. So I'm going to use the example as an equine photographer. I work with a lot of equestrian seniors doing equestrian senior portraits this time of year. And what tends to happen is parents will come to me and they don't say this, but what is interpreted is they don't want to be perceived as like cheap, right? They also don't want to be in a situation where they feel like they're spending a lot more than other parents that are seniors. So there's like this fine line that you're working with as someone who's setting prices for your business, where you're helping your client feel normal. So you're going to be using language while you're talking to them, while you're selling. So this might be on your website. It might be anywhere that you're putting information out there, blog posts that help your client, help your customer feel normal about their decision. You know, that they're getting the value and that they're paying the price that other people in the similar situation would be paying. Does that make sense, Kim? Like nobody feels like they're, oh, I, you know, I spent so much money on this and everybody else has spent so much less. Like nobody wants to feel that way, but they also don't want to feel like the one, let's see, equestrian senior parent that was like the cheapskate and didn't get yeah. like the right package for their kid. Right? That makes sense, right? We all want to feel normal. Right. It does. We all want to feel normal, but I also think about the interesting family dynamics that come up around this with people. Uh -huh. Like, oh, yeah. there is a family that lives down the road from me. I actually had a really good friendship with one of the people in the family. And this particular individual was raised in a family that had to believe that they were getting an insider deal. Like, that yeah. was their like family like motto. It has to be an insider deal. And if it wasn't Hilarious. an inside deal, they didn't feel comfortable with it, right? So it's interesting to think about and in just to kind of get people's juices going for you as a consumer on this topic, like what yeah. did you learn from your family about this? Like, right, did you have to be the family that got the insider deal? 
or do you have to be the family that's like, oh, well, we can afford something so much better. But yeah, I do think people want to feel normal within the context of our culture, but also I think our families really impact how we come up with our own personal desire to want to figure out where we fit into what quote unquote normal is. <laughs> Absolutely. And there's some language that you can use. Like I use specific language with my clients kind of throughout the experience. So I might say something like, my average client spends between this and this. So once again, I'm establishing normal parameters. I might say my average client likes to make sure that they have this package because it includes all of the images. And then usually they decide their favorites need to go on the wall and they will select a product. So I always make sure that I'm using language that sets expectation, but also establishes a normal. So think about what that is for your animal-based business and start thinking about steps that you can take during your client experience to use language to establish that normalcy. So I think that moves us into the next, which is a really fun part, the types of pricing. And this one, I'm going to just kind of go through. You might use a couple of these together. You might use just one of these ideas, but I just want to throw some ideas out there that Kim and I will kind of talk through. So the first one that I use in my business, which I found to be extremely effective, is anchor pricing. So the anchor effect. So the anchor effect, it really refers to the tendency of your consumer to rely heavily on the first piece of information presented when making decisions. So for animal-based business owners, this can be leveraged by setting a high price item as a reference point. So for example, in my wall art guide, they open the first page, the very first price that's in there is talking about so you want it all. It's like the full collection. And it's a big kind of pie in the sky number, right? It's a big number. Do all my clients choose that? They don't. Some of them do. But what that does then is it sets kind of the expectation then for when they turn the next page. Everything after that is at a lower price point. So you know, you can really leverage that. So it makes everything else then that comes after that seem more affordable in comparison. So you might offer like a premium product or a premium service at a higher price and then position other products at a more cost-effective price following that. So anchor pricing is something that you see all over the place. A great example that I heard of once was you go to a restaurant, steak restaurant, and kind of the front of the menu, there's like a big, bold, all you can eat or the, I don't know a lot about steak, but like the premium steak and it's real expensive. It's like a 40 or $50 steak, right? And you're like, wow, that's a big steak or the all you can eat buffet. Like let's think about the buffet situation, the all you can eat buffet. And it's like pretty pricey. Then you look down and there's like individual reasonable meals and they're kind of at a price point that suddenly that $20 meal looks so much less expensive because you're comparing it to the price that's anchored at the top, the first thing that you see. Whereas if that $20 price had been positioned there without that large anchor price, 
you might have grandpa sitting at the table going, oh, $20 for this meal is really expensive. But because they saw that anchor price at the top, it suddenly seems like a better deal. Does that make sense? It does. It does. And I think about, yeah, and we need to get you um, definitely educated in steak. Yeah, you want to look at the prices for the fillets <laughs> and the ribeyes. And, and those are the ones that are I know the nothing about. Cuts. I can't do steak talk. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody I can't do steak talk. Is- I'm so sorry. Somebody who raises cattle and listens to this podcast is going to be highly disappointed right now. So trust me, I do raise so beef. Sorry. I understand a good steak. Yeah. But yeah, I do get it. And it I'm just going to apologize work. now. It does work. Yeah. Um, is is $50 expensive for a snake? I don't even know. I don't even know. I was just It depends guessing. on the steak, right? Some restaurants, okay. it's way more than that. Some, it's way less. So yeah, there's a lot to that whole restaurant steak pricing option. But yeah, I mean, oh. I get it. I get it. And I get the, I have fallen for that, right? As you sit here and you say that, yeah. and I'm sure out there in the, with our listeners, somebody's going, damn it, that yep. has worked on me. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it does work. So that's the thing. It does work. And so we've all fallen, I don't want to say victim to it, but we've all been influenced by it. And I think that that is important to understand that it is an effective type of pricing. So the next piece that I want to talk about is pricing tiers and options. So in this section, we're talking about really offering multiple pricing tiers or pricing options so that you can really cater to a wider range of potential customers. This also talks about providing different levels of features. So there might be different benefits in the pricing tiers or different services at varying price points. This is important if you really want to appeal to your client's desire for choice. And this will usually increase the likelihood of a sale. The one caveat to this one that I think about is that it might not be the sale that you want it to be. So really taking the time to be super strategic about how you put this part together is really important. So this might be where you see packages. You know, like you have a package that offers one thing, a package that offers another thing in a package. So really being strategic. And there is a ton of research out there on how to create packages, strategies around creating packages like best practices. But this one is really important. And I see a lot of mistakes that people make here. Like they will have their packages have significant price differences, for example, and they have a really low cost package. And that low cost package isn't a great option if that's the one that people are choosing. It's not going to help them pay their bills. So there's a lot of really important strategies to consider here. So I have some two cents to add to this one. So there is this whole strategy about buying beer that you can think about. So we're into oh. the the steak and beer talk today. So everybody's going to be hungry already. to go to a pub after yeah. this particular podcast episode. <laughs> so I want you to think about this for a minute. You go to a bar and you look up at the options for beer and there are two options for beer. There's a cheap option and an expensive option. Which option are you going to pick? Neither. I hate beer. Yeah, I know. My last name is beer and I don't drink it. So what am I, who am I to say? (laughs) Who am I to judge? Okay, but most people will pick the lower price beer. Let's say you go into the bar and there are three beers to pick from. One is a low priced beer, one is in the medium priced, and one is expensive. 
most people pick the middle beer. There's more to that whole educational piece that I left out for time and sanity. But here's the thing. When you tier your prices, one, you don't want to send people into decision paralysis because human beings have a really hard time making choices when there's more than two or three things on the table. We seriously have a hard time doing that. So when you're putting together your pricing tiers, if you're doing this methodology where you're doing like packages and they're tiered, your middle of the road package is going to have 70 or more percent of your sales. So that package is the one you should price and create to sell the most of. So that middle of the road one, you want to make sure that when you're running your numbers and figuring out how much it's going to take to support you in your business, that it can be supported off of 70% of like 70% of your sales come from that middle category. Your upper category has very few. It's like five and then the balance is in the lower category. So when you know this, what you want to look at is okay. And I look at pricing and value packing too. So the price point needs to be in alignment, but you also need to value pack it. So The lower priced tier, the bottom tier should offer people a taste of success with whatever they're doing at a price point that is an absolute like no brainer for them to accomplish. So that normal piece, they're like, yep, my neighbor would be happy. He would be getting the deal. Okay, so that's one. The middle one should be priced and packed in such a way that it makes absolutely no sense to buy the small one (laughs) because there's so much more in the middle one and the price point is different yet, but the value is huge. It's the one that is going to create like the optimal level of solution for the person with the problem. So it's like you look at it and you go, okay, if I'm spending this on this bottom one, but look at what I get for what's in the middle. And then your upper end category is for those rare people who are like, I'm willing to spend everything. Like I want the full concierge process. I want to spend the most. I want the luxury. I need to have it. I want it all. And it should be priced at an extreme premium because the higher that price is, the more they're attracted to it. So that's kind of the way that like a lot of service businesses, coaching, that kind of thing, they look at their packages and that's what they price them as. So bottom one, It's like a really good price point, has enough to make a change. Middle one is the obvious choice if you're really serious about this. And the upper one is for the people who really want to spend the money. Does that make a a weird kind of sense about how that's structured? It does. My only challenge to that is that to me, if I were setting my packages, I don't use packages, but if I was using packages, the smallest package would have to have its price point be the minimum amount that I need to make from that client because I need to make sure that every client I'm working with hits my minimum dollar amount. So that's where I think people go wrong is they price it so low and then they're upset when people choose it. 
You know what I mean? Yes. Because they're like, dang it, I was really counting on more people to choose this middle package, but people are choosing my small package and I can't live off the small package. So to me, I'm like, you shouldn't have that price point on your small package if no. you can't live with that. So your small no. package needs yeah. to be, it needs to be at least at a minimum what you need to make per client. And then your packages can move from there. And that's just my two cents on that. I think you're right on that. I do see that happen. And I'll tell you, if you're using tiered pricing like this and you're seeing too many of your low-end package walking out the door, it's time to change how you have things set up. And the two adjustments are either the price tag or what you offer in that, the The value value that you get from it. So a lot of my coaches, here's what they do. The low-end package is like their coaching program, but it's completely online. There's no human interaction. And we all know that people do not complete shit online. We're all aware of it by now. And if you're not, I'm sorry to break your heart, but the failure rate of people entering online courses is astounding. It's crazy high. Because none of us have, and we just did this episode on coaching yourself, you know, none of us have the gumption to hold ourselves accountable for going and doing the classes online. I mean, it's a rarity that people finish a whole program online. So offering that way, it's people will go, oh, that's the price point, but I've already learned I don't get stuff done. I don't make the change. I don't solve the problem when it's over here at this lower price point. The medium one has some type of an accountability situation built into it. That's value because that's taking personal time from the person that is conducting the coaching or whatever happens to be going on the service. So it's personalized service and it's really set up for more success. So people can see that. So you can not only adjust the price, but you can adjust the value. That's the bottom line to that conversation. Okay. So let's move on to the nines, the power of nine. This is used (laughs) a lot in terms of pricing. The concept of using prices that end in the number nine. So like maybe $9.99, you might price something at $9.99 instead of $10 or $999 instead of $1,000. It's known as charm pricing. Studies have shown that prices ending in nine are just more appealing to customers. It's that they create this perception of a lower price. So small animal-based business owners can really use this strategy to make their prices appear more affordable and kind of capture that attention of those price-conscious consumers that are coming into their world. What do you think about those nines? Do you use them? I love the nines. Yes. And do you notice that they're everywhere? And now I know you're going to talk about the sevens, which is the next one. Uh So I believe this is the case. I don't, I cannot cite the study that said that, but in person, like if you're in person buying something, the 99 or 99 at the end of the number is the thing that it's like, oh, that's good because it hasn't kicked up to the next number where you wouldn't even consider it. In person, that works really, really well. But when we're talking about online, like people seeing digital prices, the seven Mm -hmm. is where it's at. And what's weird about this is when you do the math over it, like the number of sales you get over one damn penny or three pennies is amazing. Like the difference between the people who will pay $997 for something, but would not pay a thousand. That's $3 difference. 
sense. But there's some psychological factor in our little brains that goes, oh, I can afford the 997, but the 1000 is just too much. Well, yeah, so the nines are known as the charm pricing, but the sevens are known or they're seen as like a magic number associated with luck. So they have kind of like all this stuff around them. So when you mentioned when we were talking about this episode the other day, wanting to talk about the sevens, I didn't know much about the sevens. So of course I go and I do my sevens research and the seven is really seen as a magic number associated with luck. It has all sorts of like all the things you think about with the lucky numbers, the seven people feel that. So it is perceived as a lower price. So like $10 for an item versus $9.97 is the example. It has something to do with how our brains process numbers. I don't know what that is. I have no idea. It's something about that. And it gives that impression that the owner of that business, that the person who set the pricing took the time to carefully calculate the price. So they're accurate. They're not adding extra stuff in there. They know exactly what that price, because it's not like a a 99 or an even number. It's a seven. They brought it down two more cents because they carefully calculated it. So this is kind of a cool trick. If you couple this with your other prices that don't end in seven, it gives all your other prices. It's like an anchor point for all your other prices. So it kind of gives the perception of value to everything else that doesn't end in a seven. Does that make sense? So wow, <laughs> it, that's powerful, right? So you yeah. can take your anchor price that you're using at the top, end it in a seven, to set the perception that you have calculated carefully and you know exactly what this package has to cost. And then you can price your other stuff, not even using sevens. But because you did that, you're giving that impression that everything has been carefully calculated. That is powerful. It is. Now, I've got to tell you, I've got to insert my woo-woo pricing here. Do it. So... I now charge for my equine sessions here on the ranch when somebody comes for an equine gestalt synchronicity session here at the ranch. It's $333. So I'll just explain it. I'm not going to ask you because I know you're not woo-woo out there in the world looking at these things. I know nothing about threes. But (laughs) in the woo-woo world, repetitive numbers, like numbers that repeat, are considered like signs of good things. So 333 or 111 or 444 or 888. I mean, it's crazy how that works. So I've started pricing at repetitive numbers and then also numbers that have, this is getting really woo-woo. So numbers have energy. As you've seen, like seven carries luck and nine is kind of charming. So other numbers carry things like fours carry a lot of stability and balances. Eights a lot of times are considered really financially gain oriented. So if you're in the woo-woo world, and this is just the woo-woo world people, but you need to think about what's the energy of the number that you're putting in your pricing, because to other people, that's an indication of this is the right choice. Like they're seeing this, you're attracting the right people into your business because they're attracted to the energy of that number. So how fascinating is that? It's very fascinating. So are there numbers that are like bad voodoo numbers like that you know of I don't know is like one a bad number for example like if you ended something in like like this price is (laughs) 9.91 no 
I don't, I, I don't, I don't think yeah. it is. It's more to do with the repetition. Like, do you ever see people post okay. online where they say 1111? Like you see the number 1111? No, I've never seen like for So what? there's a lot of people, myself included, who feel when you see 1111, that that is a good sign that there's positive energies near you. So I know Kira's like, oh. oh my God, Kim has lost her shit today. Well, no, there's just a reason I've never heard of that. <laughs> yeah. So just start looking at 1111 or start looking for 111. Like you'll notice that it'll show up on clocks. Like you'll pick up your phone and it'll say 1111. And uh-huh. you'll be like, oh, wow. And it's a little energy boost. It's funny how you start seeing it in your world. But the same okay. thing works in that particular world. It works with those prices because people look at the energy of the numbers and they get a feel from it, right? So okay. investing $444 in a money program or $888 in a money program as a consumer that's a return on your investment, right? So you're getting good juju energy around the 888. So yes, I know this is okay. not online anywhere, but it is a it's a fun side note that I'm playing. I don't with. I mean, I don't know anything about all that. <laughs> yeah. I don't know anything about all that, but I'm gonna be watching for the eleven elevens. <laughs> <laughs> yes, watch for that 1111 to know. And most people believe it's angels nearby. But yeah, watch for your 1111 okay. and know your guardian angel is watching over you. <laughs> okay, so we're going to keep watching for our 1111s. But the last little piece of this is in regards to price bundling. So price bundling, bundling of products or services together at a discounted price can be a great strategy for animal-based businesses. What you're basically doing is you're combining items that complement each other to create packages. Business owners, animal-based business owners, you can really increase the perceived value for customers and encourage them to spend more by using this strategy. This is also an easier way maybe if you have some inventory that you need to move on that's kind of been hanging around. It's a way to promote those slower selling products. So just keep that in mind. If you've got stuff you need to move on, you can bundle that. So like, for example, in my studio, I have a bunch of frames that I'm no longer offering because the company that used to make them doesn't make them anymore. So I've got them here. So I've been trying to think of ways I can offer them as part of a bundle and to just move them on. I need the space, but I also would like to make my money back on them that originally invested in them. So just get creative with your price bundling. Absolutely. Okay. So then the last part of the big three is in regards to context and framing. So this is important because the way that prices are presented and framed can really impact your customer's perception. So for example, really going out and emphasizing a discounted price compared to a regular price can create a sense of urgency and encourage those customers to go ahead and make a purchase. So also presenting prices in a visually appealing manner, such as highlighting the most affordable or the best option or the one that has the most value, things like using larger fonts for higher priced items, the way that you present your pricing. Like I always like to put my highest price items first and then work my way back down to the lower priced items. All of that has to do with context and framing. So and it can really influence the decision-making process of clients. So like, for example, the reason I put my higher price items first and work my way down, I might have a series of 
prints and print sizes. And I'll put a 60 inch, you know, framed piece at the top as kind of the anchor price for that section. And then put the smallest item in that category with the lowest price at the bottom. And what tends to happen is people will look at that 60 or 40 inch and they'll say, okay, we, whew, I don't think we can afford that or we need that. But then they'll look down and suddenly that 36 inch below that feels so much more reasonable. Whereas if you were to flip it the other way and maybe put your 11 by 14s at the top and then have your 40 inch or your 60 inch at the bottom, they're going to be starting with that 11 by 14, which is your lowest price point and saying, well, that's a pretty good, maybe we can bump up to the 16 by 20. So you kind of shoot yourself in the foot, for lack of a better term, by not giving them the option to start at the top and work their way down versus work their way up. It's a lot easier to work your way down and make a decision than it is to work your way up into spending more and more and more. So just keeping that in mind. Another important thing to talk about here is limited time offers and scarcity in your product and your pricing. So creating that sense of scarcity or limited availability can really drive your customer's motivation to make a purchase. So small business owners can use this as a tactic, such as limited time promotion. So you might have a product or service that you're only offering for a limited time or for a limited time at a limited rate, or maybe you only have a certain number of the product left so you can advertise that. You might be a flash sale, some kind of exclusive offer to prompt customers to buy before they miss out. And honestly, this is just about mindset. It really is a strategy that taps in to people's FOMO. It taps into their fear of missing out. And it can increase your sales. It really can. I see it used all the time, almost to the point where it's like overkill, especially in the photography world, which I'm so immersed in. You'll see people saying, almost all of my sessions for the year are booked and, or, you know, no more room during the month, or I've only got one more spot left for next weekend. So you see it a lot. And for someone who is looking and they really need that spot, or they're trying to get you know, something before the end of the year that really can make a big difference. And the same thing around limited time offers. I have definitely been subject to, oh gosh, I really have been wanting to get that particular X, Y, and Z. And they're offering at a discounted rate right now. Can I afford it right now? Well, it's going to be a stretch, but it's only going to be at this price for a limited amount of time. So I'll go ahead and make the purchase. What do you think about that, Kim? Are you subjected to FOMO? I just think you have to be careful with these. Like mm -hmm. some places, and I know you know this because it's photography vendors, the people that we use, yep. do this strategy yep. a lot. But here's the thing. Mm -hmm. They've trained me to wait for one of their sales. Yes. Like I won't buy things unless it's on one of their sales because I know because they do it so often that I wait until like I'll hold things. Now I realize I have a little latitude to do that. Not everybody does, but I will hold things until I know, like they run these little scarcity offers so often mm -hmm. or the special deals so often that I will purposely hold on to everything until one rolls around in order to make my purchases. And that's what you don't want to do. You don't want to train your consumers. I don't know. Maybe it works for them because they keep doing it. I'm assuming they sell more during those periods than the downtimes. But 
As a small business owner, I think most of those businesses are bigger businesses. As a really small business owner, you want to be careful with training your customers to only work with you when what you're doing is at a discount. I do offer to, in networking groups, I have a 50% off your first session little coupon thing that I carry around with me and hand out to select people that I really want to work with that I think the price might be a slight barrier for, or it's a way I can kind of give back at like a little networking thing that I do, but it's only the first session. And I will continually give that, but after that first session, hopefully you'll want to be coming back time and time again. So that is an offer that I do put out. It's not a scarcity offer, but it's an offer I do put out that I think works. But I don't like this idea of doing these little scarcity sales too often because I think that you, I think you train your customers the wrong way. What do you think about that? No, that is 100% correct. And you see the strategy that you're using all over the place. Think about all of the programs online that are like, get your first month for half off. And then you're in the system yeah. and you're getting reoccurring payment and you're in there because you've chosen to work with them. So that is a strategy that works. And I don't offer discounts because that's not something that works for me. And I've always been afraid of tra training my clients to wait for a discount period. I just don't do it. My prices are what they are. What I do instead is I might have a product or a service that is unique and not something I offer on a regular basis. So I might say, you know, there's this new product that I want to try out. And I might say for a limited time only just for this product that I've never offered before, and I will offer it at a discount. Or I might say, I'm going to do five people at a limited discounted rate for the holiday or something along those lines. I'm super strategic about it because I see people training their customers all the time to wait for the discount. I have businesses that I work with that I will not spend money with them until they run their sale because I know it's coming. And I think that's a bad, bad habit to get into as a business owner. I do too. Okay. Is there anything else that you want to add or should I wrap this up? Let's wrap it up because I, let's wrap it up. I'm ready to take it at $9.99. Okay. <laughs> Perfect. Okay. So today we talked a little bit about the psychology of pricing for your animal-based business. A couple things that we discussed, we talked about perceived value in behavioral pricing. We talked about a bunch of different type of pricing strategies that you can use. You can use them by themselves. You can use them in combination. Might be fun for some of you guys to try out something new that you haven't used before. Definitely spend some time researching it before you put it into, just before you put it to work, make sure it's a good choice for your business. And then the last piece we talked a little bit about context and framing around your pricing. So thank you guys so much. We hope you enjoyed this episode. It was a fun one for me. I love talking about pricing. I have a lot of fun with it and I'm always kind of rethinking it in my business. And I know Kim is too. If you like this episode, please let us know. We are on Instagram and Facebook at The Business Animal. We love when people take the time to leave a rating or a review on the podcasting platform that you're listening to. And there are some new things on some of the podcasting platforms where if you like the show, but you're not currently following us, go find the little plus sign or the little arrow that you've got to click that makes sure that we show up in your feed every week. So we really appreciate it when folks do that. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Business Animal. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And if you learned something today, leave us a review. To learn more, find us at thebusinessanimal.com. We'd love to hear from you. 
Until next time, keep your business well-trained with The Business Animal.